This is Podco Media Networks. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Our goal is to connect you with real people, with real stories on how they think about bravery in the workplace and examples on how they have demonstrated bravery in the workplace, all with the goal of helping you do the same. I hope you have listened to our podcast conversations. And if you would like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. I'm really excited to have our guest today for a couple of reasons. One, unbeknownst to him, he is kicking off a author's tour with a group of authors who are going to be joining Be Brave at Work in March and April. In addition to our guest today, we'll also be welcoming Amy Edmondson in April. And Amy is the author of The Fearless Organization, Creating Psychological Safety in the Workplace and Learning, Innovation and Growth. And then also in April, we'll be welcoming Dave McEwen. And Dave is the author of The Self-Evolved Leader, Elevate Your Focus and Develop Your People in a World that Refuses to Slow Down. So I'm really excited to welcome our guest today, Ala Hunkins. Hello. Hello, Ed. It's a great to be with you today. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for finding time to be on our podcast. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I work in the field of basically building stronger leaders. I've always been fascinated as to why people do what they do. And when I say leaders, I'm not talking about a job title or a position. Fact is, all of us every day try to influence others to mobilize and create some kind of shared outcome. And if you ever try to do that, you're in a leadership role. And so I've been working with people to help them grow their leadership for about 25 years now. And I've always been fascinated by not just what people do well, but also there are patterns of leaders that don't do it so well. So I started years ago just taking some notes and capturing stories, and I was fascinated by the patterns that emerged. And I noticed that over time, the stories turned into blog posts, and the blog posts turned into chapters. And now I'm publishing this book, Cracking the Leadership Code, which is my way of distilling all of the lessons that I've learned over these past 20-some-odd years and sharing them with people so that we can accelerate our learning journey, because it is a journey, and leading is harder than it looks. It is harder than it looks. And one of the things that drew me to speaking with you is when you look at your bio, there's a line that says that you connect the science of high performance with the performing art of leadership. And I love the acknowledgement that there is some type of you know, scientific background or statistical background behind performing as a great leader. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there is definitely this blend of, you might want to call it the left brain and the right brain. I mean, the fact is we live in this time where science has enabled us to understand things that maybe intuitively we understood for a long time. But when suddenly we can look at the neuroscience and see how our brains work and understand the cognitive biases that get in our way, it just gives us a new language and some subtle distinctions to help us to navigate our understanding of what works well and what doesn't. So there's this science side of it, but at the same time, leadership is this performing art. 
Now, my background actually is I actually trained as a professional actor before I got into the world of leadership training. And as an actor, and I think as a leader, you are your own instrument. I mean, everything you do and say through your voice and your body sends a message and has an impact. And the more conscious and intentional that we can be as leaders, the more impactful we can be. So to me, putting ourselves under that leadership microscope as an artist is a really useful thing, which kind of blends the science and the art together. Do you find that you use your theater training in your coaching and facilitating and speaking? I use it a lot. One of the things when I'm coaching leaders that I say I learned in drama school is, you know, if you're an actor and you're rehearsing a play, there's a director. And at the end of each rehearsal, the director will give you notes about your character. And it's really important early on to learn how to separate yourself from the work. The fact is, when I'm performing in a role in a show, that's the the work. It's not me. And to learn to not take feedback personally I mean, that's a huge gift and so important for anyone on the path of leadership development. So that's the first thing that comes to mind when I think about how I use that. I also definitely bring out to help people to understand that, you know, when we go to the performing arts, whether it's a live theater show or a musical or play, a movie, what we want is we want to be completely engaged from minute one to the last moment, right? We want to be completely engaged the entire time. And that's what the performing arts do. They're all about keeping our focus and our attention. And if you think about our most precious resource is our attention. And if you look, compare that to your typical business meeting, the bar is pretty low. We sit through some pretty boring stuff. So I tell people, look, we're not expecting you to be a Tony award-winning performer, but if you can just start to raise the level, the quality of your engagement with people that you're trying to lead just a little bit, you're going to stand out in the business environment because frankly, the bar is pretty low. I think the bar is very low and something you just said really resonates with a lot of the listeners that we have on this podcast as well as some of the guests that we've had in the past, which is this ability to not take feedback personally. And I think that a lot of people, because they know they will take feedback personally, especially if it's constructive, become unbrave, right? They don't want to do it what needs to be done, or they don't want to say what needs to be said because they're afraid that the feedback they may get will be constructive and they just won't handle it well. Have you seen that at all in your research and career? Oh, very much so. I mean, the fact is a lot of us would rather sit in our bubble of our intentions. Like, of course, we all intend to do a good job. We intend to be good leaders. We mean well. But the data, the most recent data I saw is that only about 23% of people believe their leaders lead well. So clearly there's a huge gap because more than 23% of leaders are getting up in the morning and thinking they're doing a good job. So the thing about being willing to take feedback and not take it personally is a way to close the gap between what we intend and how we're being perceived. And at the end of the day, we judge other people on their actions and their results. Perceptions rule. It isn't about what I intend. It's how am I perceived. Now, unfortunately, a lot of leaders hide behind the shell of, well, I'm in charge, so I can get away with not asking because people won't speak up. And then I can just hang out in this mediocre status quo. So the willingness to step through that and ask for feedback does take a huge amount of bravery. And it's to me, a necessary part of the path of leadership development. Well, you remind me of that 
study that has been done, and I can't recall when it was done or who did it, but they asked subordinates if their leaders were good leaders. And then they asked the same leaders if they thought they were doing a good job. And of course, you'd expect it to be, to mirror, but of course it doesn't, right? So the leaders think they are doing fantastic, like 75% think they're doing a great job, and yet only 23% of the people being led think they're doing a great job, right? And there's this huge gap between how I am doing and how people are experiencing me. And that's, I think part of that is due to an absence of bravery because people are not being candid with their leaders on how they are experiencing them in the workplace. Oh, very much so. Yeah, what you hit on there, that's what you know. psychologists call that illusory superiority. It's the reason that 90% of people think that they are above average drivers. I mean, you can right. go across any discipline, but the fact is no one wants to think that they're in the middle of the pack. We all want to believe we're better than we are. And so the willingness to get the honest feedback, in fact, if I ever coach leaders and they say, hey, if there's one thing that people can walk away with, what's the biggest thing that's going to help me? I say, Find people who will honestly give you constructive feedback. And when you get it, the only response you have is thank you. Because getting that kind of feedback is such a gift. And it is rare because most of us are happy to kind of make this unspoken agreement that, look, if I don't call you on your stuff, you don't call me on my stuff. And we'll just kind of plotter along in this way versus the willingness to be brave and to have those really honest conversations. Because the fact is, when I have that honest conversation, what I'm really showing you is that I care enough to be honest with you. And so if we can start to reframe constructive feedback as supportive feedback, it'll help us accelerate our development. Yeah, I really love this part of our conversation because what you just described sounds so simple in executing in respect to being honest with others out of love and concern and caring and yeah. not you know, criticism and hurting. And yet we just don't do it enough. We don't say it enough. Maybe it's because we don't know how to start the sentence. Maybe it's because, you know, we're not trusting that they're going to play well, right? They'll say, yeah. oh, absolutely, give me feedback. I'd love to hear it. And I share it. And then the next thing you know, you know, I'm getting a bad performance appraisal or whatever, right? And so I don't take feedback personally and I don't share it personally as well. Yeah, you know, I think one of the big reasons that we don't see and we don't experience healthy, constructive, honest feedback more often is because very few of us have actually seen this modeled. And it's very hard to actually turn around and do something that you haven't experienced in your bones. I mean, it's one thing to understand it in concept and go, yeah, I get it. I should be giving this feedback. But if I've never seen someone who can do this, model this so positively and skillfully, and I think you use the word lovingly, you know, if I can see someone do that, then my chances of being able to turn around and do that for somebody else go way up. But if I haven't, it's really difficult. Let's set aside bravery just for a moment. I do want to talk a little bit about your forthcoming book, which I think is being published next week. It's coming on March 24th. So I think by the time this comes out, it'll be out and about in the world. Fantastic. So Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. Can you share some information from the book that uh, you think folks would love to hear? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So the three secrets, subtitle is the three secrets to building strong leaders. So I'm going to let the secrets out of the bag because like what we've been talking about, they're not complicated. The three secrets are, yeah, the three secrets are connection, communication, and collaboration. 
And in the book, we dive deep into those three secrets and really take a look at not just what they are, and there's plenty of tools and tips on how to improve your connection, communication, and collaboration skills. But we also take a look at what I call shadow principles. Those are the things that are going to trip you up and keep you from being a better connector or communicator or collaborator. And I'll just give you an example. So one of the keys to effective connection is empathy, which is probably, again, no surprise to anyone that empathy, which is seeing other people's perspectives and understanding how they feel, is critical to building strong relationships. But one of the shadow things, the things that get in our way of empathy is this need to operate from a right-wrong mindset. So many of us have been socialized and educated to believe there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. And so we approach relationships and conversations looking for what the right answer is. And so when someone shares something, instead of trying to understand their perspective and how they feel, we can immediately go to that fixing, problem-solving mindset of, well, that's wrong, that's wrong. And we just basically discount the person and their experience. So that's just an example. As we go into the, the research and the science behind these various shadow principles, because I think it's really important for us to understand what are the things that are going to trip us up. Because again, if leading was easy, then 99% of people who were leaders would be doing a great job. So clearly that's not the case because only 23% are. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I love about what you're describing in your book is, you know, beyond the three secrets, there are reasons that people don't connect well or don't communicate well or don't collaborate well. And so it sounds as though what you've identified are these shadow principles, which are the context that people might be operating in that they need to modify or revisit so that they can connect well, they can communicate well, and they can collaborate well. Yeah, great point, Ed. In fact, you mentioned context. In fact, the first part of the book is called context. The next parts are connection. And in the context section, we actually go deep into the history of why do we have the beliefs and assumptions and mindsets that we do as leaders? And I explore the history of leadership in organizations going all the way back to the beginning of the Industrial Revolution with Frederick Winslow Taylor, who was sort of the father of scientific management, and realizing that that world, which is very different from ours, the main mindset was all around thinking of workers as basically a pair of hands. In fact, Henry Ford famously said of his employees at the Ford Motor Company, why is it every time I want a pair of hands, they come with a brain attached? Where literally the time back then was workers were supposed to shut up and just do as they were told, but realize that 95% of employees were doing manual labor on the assembly line. So it was about being a human resource, a part in the larger machine. And that is clearly not the world that we live in now. So there's all of this context and inherited history that has informed how we think and believe we should be as leaders. And we haven't discounted that because it's no longer serving us. So we're basically trying to lead in 2020 and beyond using an outdated playbook. Well, it sounds fantastic. And I have pre-ordered a copy, so I look forward to reading it. Fantastic. Thank you. When you think about bravery, I'm wondering, and I don't mean to hit you with a hardball here, but is there scientific work around bravery as to why people are brave and or why people are not brave? Yeah. Well, in terms of 
I don't have any scientific research at my fingertips. I can speak more qualitative and anecdotally just from the experience of the leaders that I've worked with. And I write about this in the book as well, if that's okay. So if we look at what makes people brave, I think we've all had the experience and some people call it the sweaty palm experience. Some people Mm -hmm. call it the oh shh and you can finish the word, right? The Mm -hmm. oh shit experience is that feeling of, you know, you're in that place of discomfort. And then how do you stretch beyond it? And what I found and have found in coaching leaders and hearing their stories is that there comes a place where someone has an experience of discomfort, but they push through it anyway. They kind of do what they need to do. And when when they come out the other side of it, they realize that going through that discomfort was exactly what they needed to do to demonstrate bravery. And that kind of theme of stepping through your discomfort comes up time and time again. Yeah. So, Alan, I'm just curious from your perspective, when you think about words or phrases you might think of, when you think of bravery, what, what comes to mind? Yeah. So some words for me that come to mind around bravery include honesty. And it's a very deep, deep level of honesty. Also, vulnerability comes to mind, honesty and vulnerability, and also this being true to your values, being really congruent with who you are and knowing what that is and and a steadfastness to those values. Great, great. I think those are three great hallmarks to talk from. And, you know, the last one really connects with me because I find as I work with clients and I work with client organizations that most folks have not taken the time to really even identify what their values are, what they stand for, what they want their reputation to be, how they want people talking about them at the proverbial water cooler. Yeah, And I think this absence of clarity for them of their values leads them to be less brave when times arise. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. It's interesting. So you may be familiar with the work of Jim Cousins and Barry Posner, and they have their classic book called The Leadership Challenge. They did some great research into the importance of clarity of values and the impact on people's commitment. And, you know, almost every organization in the world has organizational values, which most people can find somewhere behind a shiny frame in a lobby in their company lobby somewhere. And what the research has found that Kuzis and Posner did this first research that I found is that it's actually less important that people have clarity around their company values in terms of the impact and commitment. Even more important is that we have clarity on our own personal values. Otherwise, we're just playing along to somebody else's game. So what you say here, Ed, around getting clear on who am I? What do I stand for? And what am I willing to say yes to? And maybe even more importantly, what am I willing to say no to is a huge impact on our ability to be brave and to ultimately lead effectively. We're going to pause in our conversation with Allah Hunkins, and we hope you join us next week as we hear more information on how he thinks about bravery in the workplace, as well as his own bravery story. We also welcome you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple, Overcast, CastBox. We are everywhere. Do you have something to say yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.